You can't wait until life isn't hard anymore before you decide to be happy. This statement circulated on social media platforms, buzzing around a video that took only minutes to go viral. It was a video of Jane Martzueski singing a song she wrote called It's Okay. Just moments before she starts singing, she shares with the judges that she's been in a three-year-long battle with cancer. And when asked if she's okay now, she says, Last I checked, I have cancer in my spine, my lungs, and my liver. There's a moment of pause. You know, that breath we all take when let in on deep pain. And she answers the silence by saying, but I'm okay. I just want to be more than the bad things that happened to me, she says. You see, I love gathering stories, peeking into the lives of others braver than me, who lay their wounds out for anyone to inspect. And I wanted to learn Jane's story. I needed to know how she can stand before thousands, how she can come on a stage alone with millions watching her from the cushions of their couch or pillows of their beds and speak so casually about a disease that so thoroughly shreds expectations. I found her story. Her words mapped her experience so vividly. It was as if she had been watching some of my own sleepless nights, like she had been hearing my most earnest prayers. Here is what she wrote. I don't remember most of autumn because I lost my mind late in the summer and for a long time after that. I wasn't in my body. I was a light bulb buzzing somewhere far away. After the doctor told me I was dying and after the man I married said he didn't love me anymore, I chased a miracle in California and 16 weeks later, I got it. The cancer was gone. But when my brain caught up with it all, something broke. I later found out that all the tragedy at once had caused a physical head trauma and my brain was sending false signals of excruciating pain and panic. I spent three months propped against the wall and on nights that I couldn't sleep, I laid in the tub like an insect, staring at my reflection in the shower knob. I vomited until I was hollow. I rolled up under my robe on the tile. The bathroom floor became my place to hide where I could scream and be ugly, where I could sob and spit and eventually doze off happy to be asleep, even with my head on the toilet. I've had cancer three times now, and I have barely passed 30. There are times when I wonder what I must have done to deserve such a story. I fear sometimes that when I die and meet with God that he will say I disappointed him or offended him or failed him. Maybe he'll say I just never learned the lesson or that I wasn't grateful enough. But one thing I know for sure is this. He can never say that he did not know me. I am God's downstairs neighbor. Banging on the ceiling with a broomstick. I show up at his door every day. Sometimes with songs. Sometimes with curses. Sometimes apologies, gifts, questions, demands. Sometimes I use my key under the mat to let myself in. And other times I sulk outside until he opens the door to me himself. I've called him a cheat and a liar, and I meant it. I've told him I wanted to die, and I meant it. Tears have become the only prayer I know. Prayers roll over my nostrils and drip down my forearms. They fall to the ground as I reach for him. These are the prayers I repeat night and day, sunrise and sunset. Call me bitter if you want to. That's fair. Count me among the angry, the cynical, the offended, and the hardened. But count me also among the friends of God. 
for I have seen him in rare form. I have felt his exhale laid in his shadow, squinted to read the message he wrote for me in the grout. I'm sad too. If no explanation would help, or if any explanation would help, I know he would write me one. But maybe an explanation would only start an argument between us, and I don't want to argue with God. I remind myself that I'm praying to the God who let the Israelites stay lost for decades. They begged to arrive in the promised land, but instead he let them wander, answering prayers they didn't pray. For 40 years, their shoes didn't wear out. Fire lit their path each night, and every morning he sent them mercy bread from heaven. I look hard for the answers to the prayers that I didn't pray. I look for the mercy bread that he promised to bake fresh fresh for me each morning. The Israelites called it manna, which meant, what is it? That's the same question I'm asking again and again. There's mercy here somewhere, but what is it? I see mercy in the dusty sunlight that outlines the trees, in my mother's hands, in the blanket my friend left for me, in the harmony of the wind chimes. It's not the mercy that I asked for, but it is mercy nonetheless. And I learn a new prayer. Thank you. It's a prayer I don't mean yet, but will repeat it until I do. Call me cursed, call me lost, call me scorned, but that's not all. Call me chosen, blessed, sought after. Even on days when I'm not so sick, sometimes I go lay on the mat in the afternoon light to listen for him. I know it sounds crazy, but I can't really explain it. God is in there, even now. I've heard it said that some people can't see God because they won't look low enough, and it's true. Look lower. God is on the bathroom floor. Reading her words, it's easy to find a connect. I mean, maybe you physically experience those moments on the bathroom floor, letting the tile cool your forehead after emptying your stomach. There's a vulnerability and desperation in those moments. I've experienced the same vulnerability and desperation when my soul is sick. That beating on the ceiling with my broomstick, asking, do you see me? Do you hear me? This is not what I thought. This is not what I wanted. This is not what I expected. And that is where we meet disappointment. That space between what we expect and what we experience. The space created by the people who let us down in the jobs that didn't work out, in the marriages that fall apart, in the negative sign on the pregnancy test. When I first moved into this neighborhood of what wasn't, I saw the dried up flowers hanging over cracked pots. The yard crunched beneath my feet as I made my way up the crumbling steps to turn the rusted knob of the front door. This was a place of broken things, and I made it my home. And many of you are my neighbors, Shadows behind the slightly parted blinds, just checking to see if anyone sees you, if anyone can see you. But sometimes we don't want our disappointments to be so public. We don't want to be seen. I imagine Joseph wondered if anyone could see him as his brother sold him into slavery. If anyone saw him sit in a prison, falsely accused of a crime he didn't commit. And as he interpreted the dreams of the only people who would help him, who could help him, people who would forget him, 
I wonder if he was reminded of the dream he had as a 17-year-old boy when God revealed a future of influence. Moses was left in the gap between expectation and experience when the life he thought he'd lived comfortably in Egypt became a life lived in the desert with people who complained every step. When the people he was chosen to lead didn't believe he could do it. When after years of wandering the desert, he would not enter the promised land. Moses knew the worst kind of disappointment, the repetitive kind. And the disciples, they stood at the foot of the cross, watching the hope of the world, their hope, crucified, murdered. Years of following Jesus, traveling miles, feeding, housing, healing people, all to end like this. They didn't think it would be that way. The Bible is full of stories of those long before us tumbling from disappointment into defeat. Their big faith chipped away at, sharpened and dulled by the unexpected and inevitable letdowns that come with living in a sinful world, a fallen world. But there's another pattern in scripture. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did. Genesis 39 two. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Exodus thirty three seventeen. Jesus came and told his disciples, be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew 20, 20. Our disappointment is God's story of redemption. Our opportunity to see his provision, to sit in his presence. Because he has chosen us, because he sits with us, because he sees us, it means our disappointment is not ultimate. Instead of living in this broken place, quietly shutting the door behind me and sitting in all that could have been, I'm learning to swing wide the door to what still can be as God quietly and softly reminds me, I'm here even in this and it's not over. I want to adjust Jane's words just a little. Don't wait until life isn't hard anymore before you see God faithful. The pain is a little less sharp, the wound more shallow, and the pieces less shattered when we see our disappointment through the lens of his faithfulness. To find the more he has for you, you have to believe you are more than the disappointment that's happened to you.